Welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. In this episode, we're going to be discussing chapter 14 of our book, Customer Satisfaction. Advanced Analysis. It's a really snappy title, this, Stephen. Advanced <laughs> Analysis. Understanding the causes and consequences of customer satisfaction. Yeah, and I think... Actually, the subtitle's better than the title in this instance. So advanced analysis implies, you know, structural equation modeling or, yeah. like, you know, fancy stuff like that. Where really this chapter is talking about using customer satisfaction data and linking it to internal data about, you know, delivery performance and other data about customer behavior and profitability and da da da. So it, it is more about finding ways to link customer satisfaction to other stuff, other data that matters for the business. I like the word consequences of customer satisfaction because there's both the positive and the negative. And I think one of the things that we all start off thinking about is hey, let's do a customer survey because we want to set about improving things. Yeah. And presumably that's because we want to make our organizations better our businesses more profitable working on the assumption that well it's going to be better for us if we have more satisfied customers mm. and everyone accepts that till you start getting quite a bit of the way up the hierarchy and say well I'm two-thirds of the way up is it really worth me getting any higher because I know I don't yeah. want to be at the bottom but it's gonna to be tough to get that last third up and is mere satisfaction just just enough and I think this is where partly what we're going to talk about some of these um, um, advanced analysis or, or, or these equations can help if anything I think it should be called refined analysis because I think it's starting to get into much more specifics yeah and as we'll see when we get towards the end of the chapter I, I think the the thing that I really like about this is the link to strategy so yeah you know, not just assuming that satisfaction more satisfaction is a good thing but but sort of looking exactly and making decisions about, well, how much do we want to invest and where do we want to invest it and how are we going to go about improving for whether it's remove bottom box or add top box? What does that look like? What does that require from us? And what's the payoff going to be? So it's a more kind of a more grown up, a more strategic approach to, to looking at customer satisfaction as a not exactly a lever you can pull, but, but as the mediating thing between levers you can pull and benefit for the business. And I think even just to take it back one stage further, I'm, um, I'm pu pulling together a, a webinar on the business case for customer insight. And it takes me back to um, sometimes in, in tender processes in terms of saying, well, does it really make a difference? Is it going to improve our bottom line? And the, the irony, some ways of this, is that for the people who you know, we do do research with, where we can access the data you're talking about, the internal measures, whatever they are, the customer spend in some of the consumer market, you, you see what a difference it really can make financially, but you've had to do the survey first to get the first half of data to share with the second half of data to draw that conclusion. Yeah. Um, I always find when people say, well, what's the value of it? Have you any examples that show we have, but they're not going to be about you and your customers. They're going to, they might be from your sector or they might be from this, but it's not about you and your customers. You need to do the survey first. Yeah, absolutely. I think you will never know exactly how it works for you and your customers until you've got that data. That, that's yeah. obvious. And to some extent, some of these decisions always have to be made on faith. 
because you could you could always quibble with any piece of evidence that you produce. You could always say, well, that's different because they're in a different country or they're in a different sector or that dot dot dot. Dated. Or yeah, this yeah. was ten years ago. And you could, even with your own data, if you really want to, quibble. you can find ways to quibble and doubt it and say, oh, but what if there's some other variable? So at some level, somewhere down the line, someone has to have a level of belief. But once you've got that kind of, it broadly seems to make sense that the way people feel might affect the way they behave, then you can go and find lots of pieces of evidence that, that not only support that, yeah. that belief, but oh, also right. quantify it and say, yes, more satisfied people are more loyal, and here's how much more loyal and how Absolutely, much more money it makes us. And that's the real value is being able to quantify it. I often think it's our results presentations. It isn't that we tell people something they don't know. They usually know where customers are most satisfied, least satisfied. They usually know where to focus on. Um, I think often at our presentation, we're just sometimes showing the magnitude of how you handle a complaint really affects loyalty. Do you know it affected it this much if they do this or this much if it does that? I often think we're providing um, measurement behind feelings or supporting feelings and judgments with, with, with measurement. Yeah, absolutely right. I think a lot of market research in general actually is it's quantifying an intuition and by quantifying it, you then enable, as I said before, you enable grown-up strategic decisions to be made about it. Uh, and that's... That, for me, that's a, a lot of what customer research is about, really, is to say, we've got all the, the, the nice posters on the wall and the case studies of you know uh, CEOs from America who said great things. Yeah. How much difference is this going to make? And that's, that's where we come in to, to, sh to answer that question. How much difference will it make to our profitability or yeah. customer retention or whatever it is? And I think, just carrying on that a, a, a little bit, I think a big part of that is by showing it makes a difference and putting some numbers on and showing the magnitude of those. I often think that provides a driving force for hold on. It is worth putting time, effort, money, because if we do this, look how much that changes. Now I knew it would change, but that's much more than I thought. Mm. We really should be doing this. And I know there's time, effort, cost, but look at the benefit we get if we improve that behavior, that activity, that service by 10%, how it will work its way through. So having yeah. kind of enthusiastically agreed with each other, <laughs> however long we've been talking now, um, it, it's probably good, a good time to turn to the chapter. And in, in particular, the, the first kind of, it, and there's a lot of related themes in this chapter, actually, but the first section is, is about asymmetry. In, in other words, relationships that are not necessarily a straight line relationship, but where you either get diminishing returns yeah. or you get sort of accelerating returns. And I think the, the, the slightly subtle point about this, because the chapter talks about the, the Kano model, which a lot of people will be familiar yeah. with, the idea of givens and delighters. Givens, uh, you get rapid benefit from going from terrible to quite good, but then very, very diminishing returns yeah. beyond the level of quite good. So there's no point being the very best at it. Delighters are the opposite. No one notices until you're really quite good, and then you get disproportionate benefit for, for standing out from everyone else. That model is interesting and useful uh, and important to understand, I think. You can probably hear a book coming. <laughs> the but, I think, in my view, is that I think people slightly misunderstand it and assume that you'll see those, those, that, those shapes, the shape of a given and a delighter, in your satisfaction survey data. And no. the truth is you probably won't. No, no, I, I, it just doesn't work like that. You know, customers aren't, aren't perfect, aren't logical, aren't obedient. Um, you, 
and I think this is where the advanced analysis, because it is in there when you start compiling different bits of data mm. to, to, together. And part of what to think with, with, with a full detailed proper customer satisfaction survey, and I know we always uh, worry when we have to send presentations beforehand or if they're going out to the business, because you can on one slide draw the wrong conclusion you have to look at it from numerous different angles, what's important, what's having the impact, how satisfied are your customers, your key customers, what do customers say about this? You know, there's no point being great at the enhancers if, if you know, you're, you're poor on the given, so you need to understand all the stuff you're saying. About. So you have to look at all that information to draw out the strategic conclusions of, hold on, this is where we are, this is where we're going. Um, and that, does take um, different analyses to, to, to look at that and uh, you know and, and doing it in different ways and I know when I presented you know the, the links between loyalty and satisfaction people are looking for you know the eclipse or, the, or, or whatever and it's just not there with their customers mm. um, but a shape is there and you have to work from that shape or that relationship I would say almost always the relationships that you'll find with with survey data will be give or take linear yeah with very rare exceptions but as soon as you go beyond the survey data so as soon as you're looking at some kind of measure of, of delivery or performance linking to satisfaction you'll probably find that that's non-linear yeah and as soon as you go from satisfaction to actual behavior yeah. so not not am i scoring you eight out of ten for the recommend question but did i do I, I actually renew do i actually buy again dot 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 share yeah. spend whatever whatever the the behavioral loyalty measure mm. is the reason that really really matters is because again it's about having those grown up arguments about it so should we keep investing in this well if we understand that further investment in it is not actually going to make much difference to satisfaction probably not should we keep investing in satisfaction beyond as you said two thirds of the way up the league table well if we look at it and find actually our you know, the 10% of our customers who are really satisfied are exponentially more profitable than absolutely, everyone else, yeah. which is sometimes the case, then yes. absolutely we should invest in satisfaction. In fact, it'd be a no-brainer um, that, yeah. that you need to. Yeah. I mean, it does move into quite an interesting area in terms of, as you said at the beginning, it's tying up customer data, information that we've collected from a survey, into internal measurements. And definitely see a real mixture of companies who have good internal data, reliable internal data, robust internal data, and those who don't. And also in terms of what are we tying this up to? Do we have a profitability by customer? Hmm. Are we just looking at spend? Are we looking at future order book? Are we looking at number of orders? What, and it, it can be quite an interesting discussion with the business to see what is it that they see as success, and if we're talking business as profit, okay, so let's just go the level below that. How are you getting to that? What things are you trying to tie this up with? And I, I, I find that's quite interesting. And it, and it does sometimes make you realise that actually the customers know a lot more about themselves than organisations know about the customer. For example, how many products do you you know how many times you shop with that organisation? How many products do you have with that organisation? A customer knows that, and often the organisation doesn't know things like that about the customer. Mm. Again, <laughs> it, it often depends on the market, doesn't it? But 
but quite often what you might find is that let's say you're a manufacturer you might find that customers are coming to you direct but also going through yeah. a reseller somewhere a distributor, or distributor, yeah. and sometimes deliberately doing that because they don't effectively want all their eggs in one basket yeah. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Customers sometimes have a better idea, well, often have a better idea of their own behaviour uh, than you do, and that that does introduce questions about what's the right place to look for this data. Do we do we put it on the survey and get it from customers? Do we get it from your internal data? Usually, I think the best insights come when you when you've got both. When you can yeah. say, well, this is what it looks like to customers. This is what it looks like to us. If that lines up, okay. If it doesn't. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. What's going on there? Uh, and that often opens up opportunities to d- really understand something about customer behavior or something about how customer attitudes are formed. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think in terms of starting to link the behaviors and the satisfaction um, t- together? What do you think the first real step should be for an organization? I mean, again, it, it just varies so much on the market. But I think for me, what I'd want to know, if you put me in charge of a of a you know brand new organisation that's never done customer satisfaction surveys or collected any other data. It's a scary thought. It is a terrifying thought, yeah. Um, So yeah, you would start with a customer satisfaction survey for the sort of the middle bit, customer attitudes, and in that you would include as as much stuff as you can that addresses how their attitudes link to their behaviours. So at at a sort of relationship strategic level, you'd want stuff around either share of spend or retention or um, renewal or you know whatever the right sort of measure of behavioral loyalty is in that yeah. market and perhaps some of the stuff like you know do you think your spend is going to go up or down over the next year no those yeah, sorts of things are all those questions and at an event driven level i would want to be able to link specific things that we do as a business to how customers feel so that's where you're looking for you know did we turn up on time did you was your yeah. order you know right complete and, and accurate and all that stuff. Yeah. So again, what those questions are very much depend on the journey and, and the market, but stuff that you do that affects how customers feel yeah. in a very concrete, uh, black and white, yes yeah. and no, what happened, who did it, actionable way. Yeah. Customer experience modeling. Exactly, yes. as, as the chapter <laughs> talks about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the, for me, the important thing is to not try and do all of that in one survey, if you if you can, right. but separate out those two jobs. So linking customer attitudes to customer behavior at a strategic level and linking your behavior to customer attitudes at an event-driven tactical level. And if you've got both of those bits, yeah. then you can start adding on other sources of data. So whether it, you know, at the strategic level, it might be data that you hold about uh, customer behavior from, from you know, how many purchases they've made in the last mm. year or whatever it is. Or it might be more kind of market da- level data, you know, what's happening to our positioning in the market, our brand awareness, all, all, all that sort of big strategic mm. stuff. And at the event level, uh, driven level, you're trying to link it to specific people in t- inside you know, your MI about what is it you do, how, you, how, how the sausage gets mm. made. Yeah. Um, that customers are scoring effectively with the event-driven survey. Yeah, yeah. let's hope you get in charge of a business sometime that, 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 that can set about and do that. It sounds really good. <laughs> I think if you've got all that in yeah. place, then, yeah. then you're, you are in a place then where will you have a, oh, if I spend £10 here, I'll get £12 back over here. It's very difficult to get to that. But what you can get is, is a very good sense of pieces of that puzzle. So not necessarily... A ten pound investment here gets me twelve pounds extra profit, 
but lots and lots of evidence that says, well, what we do know is that if we pull these levers, customers get happier, and when customers are happier, yeah. they're more prone to renew. So would you be delighting your customers? Well, it's possibly. And, <laughs> and, and, and that is one of the interesting questions, I yeah. think. So again, something I think the chapter is very good on is there are different strategies for different businesses at different stages of the journey. Yeah, depend on where you are. Yeah. And one of the things that's really important to do, I think, is you know, behind your average score, whatever it is, there's a distribution. There's yeah. a, and you can think in terms of net promoter score, detractors, passives, and promoters, or you can think of a satisfaction index with a, you know, a, essentially a normal distribution curve yeah. behind it. And the question is, first of all, what's our focus as a business? Do we want to remove unhappy people or do we want to move reasonably happy people to be very happy? Do we know to in, yeah. you know, remove bottom box or increase top box or both? And that's where you need to bring the other data to the table because without that, you cannot answer that question other than theoretically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and having answered that question, you, you've then made a, a grown-up business decision about we want to make sure we're never terrible or we want to be as often brilliant as we can be. If you, if you decide the second one, if you, you know, we want to maximise the number of people who love us, yeah. then I think there is an argument for delight Absolutely. sometimes. <laughs> as a differentiator in yeah. a highly competitive market, I think we've all done presentations where the level of customer satisfaction when we put it onto our lead table is really low but they are the best of a bad bunch. Mm. And the other end, where people have some really high scores, but they are worst of a good bunch. And, mm. and so the whole competitor position comes into, you know, it, you know it, in, into that situation, into that situation. But it's a really good example of you can't put the strategy in place till you bring the other information to the table. Yeah. Um, and that's what the best organisations do. They don't see this as a stand. It can't be a standalone. Mm. It needs to be something that's integrated within the business to get the maximum learning, you know, out of it. And you know, and the real obvious one is sometimes in the business to business market where you've got that customer, your largest customer. You know, the, really, the whole strategy depends on where they sit. Yeah. Or the eighty twenty rule is yeah. where you go for it because dependent where that customer sits is going to really depend on what you do. Mm. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Definitely. So I think often people lose track of what a customer survey is for, what customer research in general is for, uh, and think, oh, it's to produce a satisfaction score, so we've got a measure of, of how well we're doing or how good the customer experience is. And that, that's all true, but it's not why, why you do it. And then, then people sort of go too far the other way and say, oh, it, it's all about making sure we can make more money. And go, well, that's true too, but you're missing the bit in the middle. And yeah. the bit in the middle is we're trying to understand how customers make decisions. How do they decide whether to come to us or our competitor? What is it that pushes them towards our website to do the ordering or to pick up the phone to us or to you know, come into our branch? Whatever it is we do. And that's, for me, what customer research is all about. And customer satisfaction is important because it's logical and, and it's provable that one of the big drivers of that decision is how good the experience was last time they had it. Yeah. And that stands to reason, doesn't it? If we, if we make them yeah. feel good, then they're more likely to want to feel good next time. Um, if we make them feel it was annoying and, and a pain, then they can not want to deal with us. And I think if you, if you see customer research as being all about that, like the, the, the thing that links together, we want that satisfaction score to know if the experience is good and we want to make, understand how to make more profit, the thing that links those together is consumer decision-making. Yeah. And that's, that's why that's, that's the kind of, the, for me, the focus about 
what research is all about is the psychology of how human beings make decisions about where to spend their money. Yeah. I mean, you're using the word behaviour numerous times, and I think it's a thing that really you know, has to be so important to, be, to try and be built into the survey or to try and have other information. We're, doing, we're making people happy, so we hope they behave in a way that's more advantageous to the organisation. And that measuring how happy people are is quite an easy thing to do. Mm. It's then trying to link that and parts of that to that behaviour. So, you know, a good, when we've talked about questionnaire design, about having those good things, you know, in terms of if you want to see what customers do that behaviour, ask them about them, ask them if they do it, ask them if they do more of it, ask them if they've actually done it, and if so, when and how and why, and because they are, as you were talking about the two lots of data there, it's nearly like having something that's converting one to the other. You need to have that converter in the middle to change satisfaction to success. And, and, and that's behaviour, and that is, that's, that's the behaviour. I mean, quite interestingly, we're talking about a, a chapter here on analysis, and we're getting quite excited about behaviours, mm. which is completely the right thing to do. Because <laughs> um, it isn't about, it, it's using the analysis to discover the yeah. behaviours. And to link it back to, to how you started the, the episode, it's very hard to, to convince a total sceptic. But I think the way you can address it is to say this data is linked to actual behavioural data that is fact. And the sort of the ardent cynics, they're sort of stereotypically the, the FD, uh, <laughs> who is, which is a little bit unfair on FDs. But, but, very unfair, but, I would but say. But stereotypically the FD. If you can show, look, these people who we've identified because they're happier are actually spending more money than those people because of the experiences we've created. That's fact. And they can reject everything on in the survey. So that's just what people say. And yeah, that is just what they say. If you can link it to behaviour, then you've got sort of cold, hard facts that even the FD kind of has to accept. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, absolutely. And the chapter starts talking about return on investment and in, in terms of, you know, the different types of customers. And we should probably talk a little bit about the you know the demographics of the customer you know even if we're talking about the older saboteurs and apostles or even understanding you know this customer segment versus that customer segment because and that's quite often in surveys you want to have some demographics within your customer mm. base because um, in consumer markets yeah perhaps all customers are equal but certainly in business to business markets you know I often think it's about doing best what matters most comma, to those who matter most. Yeah. So, so having that further level of, of, you know, of information is really quite valuable. Definitely. And, and it's, it's, it's really obviously true in B2B. I think it's true in B2C as well. It, it's not always easy to figure out who matters most. Yeah. And this is a bit of red herring for this chapter probably, but in my view, a lot of that is about being really clear on your offer. Um, so you're appealing to the right people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, perhaps that's for another day. Okay. Anything to say on consequences of customer satisfaction? I mean, I feel, I feel we should talk about saboteurs and apostles. Um, we've been the, I mean, the main thing for me, we kind of hinted already at the idea of where's the strategic opportunity here? Do we want to remove bottom box or increase top box? One of the things that's built into that is, is a kind of assumption that there's a ladder from detractor to passive and then from passive to promoter. And I do think it's interesting to question that and say, well, actually, is that how it works? Or are there at least some detractors who we can move straight to, to, to promoter? Because to some extent, you may have passive kind of people 
Yeah. Um, who, nah, yeah, it's fine. And you might have more extreme kind of people who let me down even slightly and I hate you, but deliver and I love you. Yeah. And that's a, again, it's part of understanding consumer yeah. psychology, isn't it? Yeah. There are at least some of those people. It's interesting to wonder how many. I think one of the real benefits that um, Net Promoter Score has, has brought to the world um, is this idea that you are you can put customers into three categories, your promoter, your promoter, yeah. your detractor. So then you start getting into some advanced analysis. Oh, what's the difference between a detractor and a passive? Detractor promoter, passive promoter, detractors and passives against promoters. And, and there's, there's some more analysis you can do there. And it does provide more strategic information, you know, A, to get them out of detractors, don't give them those problems that are really severe. And a bit like you're saying, if you stop giving that severe problem, they might go right into a promoter. Mm. It's just that one-off event that was really serious. And then it might be that in terms of going from the passives to the promoters, now that might be a bit more tough because that might be some behavioural stuff in your organisation. How do you move someone who scores you an eight up to a nine? Not really doing anything wrong, but perhaps we now should be delighting Mm. from that point of view. Yeah, Uh, you can't fix problems your way to the top of the league table. I think that is... No. We've just seen that again and again and again. Uh, that's quite good what you said there. Well, except it doesn't make any sense. But no. <laughs> yeah. Most of what you said, I don't think makes much sense to me, Stephen, but I, I, I just accept it's true. <laughs> yeah, I need to find a way to articulate that in English, but it's true, I think. Brilliant. Anything else in terms of the advanced analysis? I think the book does quite a good thing up front of saying you probably don't need to consider all of this. This is not, well... Yeah, we probably said it isn't essential with a lot of what we've talked about. To understand customer satisfaction the beginnings of a loyalty, it's not an essential. But I think to really make something work, and particularly in larger organisations where you've got more data, more information, and in a world where data and MI is becoming so much more valuable, yeah. perhaps this will become more of the norm. Yeah, and I think it and where, should be and should be. Where yeah. you really need it is is once you're quite good. So I think the the very simple approach that we always advocate, doing best what matters most, find out what matters to customers, find out how good a job they think you're doing, that with very simple analysis gives you the right things to focus on, starting from, you know, if you start at the bottom of the league table or just below halfway up the league table, it'll be really clear, here are your three PFIs, fix these things that customers aren't happy Absolutely. with that really matter. Where it always gets difficult is when your satisfaction index is around 84, 85, your net promoter score is around 35, 40. Um, oh, we're pretty good now. You know, we're better than most people. We're above average. We're, we're among the best <laughs> suppliers in our market. Do we really need to keep investing? And that's, that's where the, you need to, to do the work to answer that question. Yeah, need to become more advanced to yeah. see the benefits of, of doing that. Great. So we'll be back next time to do Chapter 15 which is using surveys to drive improvement. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com. (music) 